Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 28th of October, 2021 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Over the past two years, the spaces that we live in have become ever more important. We've spent so much time staring at our walls and waiting for the world to stop spinning, and we understand more than ever how important it is for us to have a comfortable space, a port in a storm, where we can pull up the drawbridge and keep out all the beasties and baddies that are trying to plague us. This week, as we listen to a story from Katrina about her own personal castle, we'll be thinking of what makes us feel at home and checking to make sure the portcullis is functioning. After Katrina's story, we'll re-listen to a story from Madeline about how she kept her spaces clear of unnecessary obstruction. Before we hear today's stories, though, a huge autumnal hug goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We hear you, Hong Kong, and we are listening. Thanks go out to our international listeners as well. Today, in particular, to listeners in Queens, in New York, in the USA, Sydney, in Australia, and St. Catharines in Canada. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. The Hong Kong International Literary Festival is back for the 21st year. From the 5th to the 15th of November, the festival will be showcasing literary events under the theme Rebound. There are over 70 events on the calendar, including online and in-person events, and even 20 free events covering all kinds of fiction, wellness, history and heritage, and non-fiction and reportage. So there is something for everyone. The weekend of the 11th to the 14th of November is particularly full of live and live-streamed events, including book talks, panel discussions, performances, workshops, and walking tours. Find all the information you need to join in, including ticketing links and venue information, at festival.org.hk. That's festival.org.hk. The festival also includes Hong Kong Story's very last show of 2021, which has the theme Recovery. This is the seventh year we have been involved in the festival, and Harika has put together a fantastic show for you to enjoy. Ticketing links can be found on our website, hongkongstories.com, or find the show and other really great literary events at festival.org.hk. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. Now with the story from our August 2021 show that had the theme, Busting Out, here is Katrina. My memory is pretty unreliable beyond three years ago. I was struggling with what I considered to be the hardest year of my life, which had its own cocktail of losing people, losing myself, landing in therapy. But it all came to a head when my then-boyfriend broke up with me in our shared apartment on a late January Sunday at 7 in the morning. And it kicked off an anxious survival adrenaline inside of me. Chinese New Year was only a week away, and nothing would be open if I acted too late. So within the day, 
I went to three different rental agencies who showed me their horrible 200 square foot options. You know, the kind of apartments that would cost 11,000 Hong Kong, but it'll only come like with the one lone window and the claustrophobic low ceiling, you know, accented with an incandescent crystal chandelier. <laughs> Redefining what it means to rent something cozy. <laughs> but I had an angel, a neighboring agent whose cat I had visited almost every day, and I called her in a panic to explain my situation. She responded, I have something that would be a good fit for you. And it was more than a good fit. I, I fell in love the moment I saw this place, newly renovated and clean, dark faux wooden vinyl flooring. In the entire back wall were these gloriously tall windows. I was literally seeing the light, a meat cute that was love at first sight. By 5.30 p.m., the same day of my breakup, I had a new apartment. And as an adieu, oh, thank you, thank you, oh, thank you. And as an adieu to the failures of my past relationship, I came up with a fancy housewarming ceremony. The invitation read, Kat and her apartment request the pleasure of your company at the celebration of their union at X address. Four of my friends came and I got to show off my custom teal curtains and the coordinated IKEA furnishings. <laughs> When the pandemic did hit, I was part of the minority whose life had actually eased. Sure, I had my job insecurities, but for the most part, I took to my flat like it was my healing cocoon. With my days steeped with work, cooking, reading books, long stints of writing, my honeymoon period had lasted for years. That is, until six weeks ago, in the middle of the night. There was an odd, guttural gurgling emanating from somewhere in my apartment, followed by my neighbors uncharacteristically chatting outside in the hallway at that late hour. I received a text from my landlord that asked, Are you having problems with your bathroom? Now, I really wish he was more specific with what I was supposed to find. Because I opened my bathroom door with zero preparation, or facial protection for that matter. The sight of it was gore. All manner of um, black and brown chunks. Floating, swimming among swads of used blue roll. The smell and the sight of it, the memory still makes the bile rise from my stomach. And this urban horror show is made possible because the truth of, the, the truth of it is, um, my flat is not a natural apartment. It is a subdivided apartment. Let me explain. You see, I live in, in an old Hong Kong building which affords me my high ceiling and multiple windows. However, my flat is but one out of five, carved out from the one whole unit. And each of us have our own private toilets and kitchens, which is awesome for us renters, but terrible from an engineering standpoint. Because, apparently, to make this all work, all five of our kitchens, five toilets, and five shower drains, all that piping had to be connected to the one main pipe. A pipe built to only support one apartment. 
My landlord informed me that my outward-facing room was the one that's closest to the main clog. So if my neighbors attempted to flush anything, my shower drain was the first to receive that backlog. <laughs> um, yeah, I could feel the familiar sur- anxious survival adrenaline kicking in again. And um, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'm a strong, independent woman with with an arsenal of emotional regulation strategies and an improved tolerance for discomfort. I can do this. The plumber is coming tomorrow. You know, so what if we are living in a pandemic hellscape and the collective sewage of five apartments is collecting in my bathroom? It's fine. It's fine. You know, I'm going to switch the exhaust on and close the bathroom door. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to go to the nearby mall to relieve myself. And and theoretically, theoretically, by the time I come home, the clog will be gone. And it will all be over. It's not over. It's not over. The plumber apparently can't fix anything for the next two days. Something to do with the dangers of scaling the outside of the apartment just to get to it to fix it. My reasonable optimism quickly eroded. My bathroom is not exactly airtight. And my skin crawled at the indignity of possibly staying in my room for a couple more nights with the wafting of fecal miasma in my own home. This culminated into a bad hostage situation over WhatsApp. I'm texting my landlord, hey, I really need to stay somewhere else for the next couple nights. I could genuinely get sick. He counters with a ridiculous suggestion. You know, why don't I try getting a plastic bag, filling that with water, and stuff that into the drain to keep more sewage from flowing out. This guy was so adamant to convince me to not stay somewhere else for the night. Clear indication that he was not going to pay for it if I did. But you know what? I got him to concede. Fine. The plumber's coming back tomorrow, but I won't have access to a bathroom till then. But like clockwork, in my darkest hour, an angel moment, my BFF, who I had been venting to this entire time, reached out to me to say, Hey, I've been telling my parents about your shitty situation. <laughs> they, they said you could use my sister's old room for the night. Well, no polite hemming or hawing from me. I took the lifesaver, and you best believe, after 48 hours of what I had been through, the shower I had in my friend's home is one of the top three showers of my life. (laughs) (sighs) Thankfully, the next day went on without a hitch. The pipe clog was cleared. I put on an N95 and started pouring bleach and water on everything. I imagined it like I was cleaning out a crime scene. I scrubbed for at least three hours. The rest of my apartment was sprayed down and wiped as clean as I could manage. The smell of detergent salving my nausea, bringing back the breath of God into the space. I cleaned until I felt boneless. My parents who I have kept aware of the situation, called me from the Philippines once I reported that the catastrophe was over. They, of course, gave me their expert unsolicited advice that I should move out immediately. I quickly shut down the idea, I mean, respectfully, because at this point, 
I have been through in sickness and in health levels of commitment to maintain my home. Sure, now I have to admit that my living arrangements come with its complexities. But now I can certifiably say that it's going to take more than a shitstorm for me to break up with my apartment. <laughs> I hope that each and every one of you listening reaches the level of satisfaction with their home that Katrina has achieved with hers. If you love your flat and feel like you want to share that love, even through difficult times, with the world, come to a free workshop. Sign up through the links on our website, hongkongstories.com. Now with a story from February 2019 about her own personal space, here is Madeline. I came to Hong Kong two years ago, and I've moved four times in the meantime. And when I came here, I had two bags only, like her, but mine wasn't full to the full capacity. But now then, of course, you started to need things. So soon I needed to have my own bedding, and I also wanted to have wine glasses. And, yeah, so I was fine. And then my friends started to give me things, like a little pot plant and a table and a carpet. I'm moving soon again, and I will need a truck. (laughs) Now, the thing is, I have never really liked the idea of accumulating things. I've always been quite allergic to it. And I read an article of this Japanese man who claims that he lives a fulfilled life with 50 items. Now, get your head around that, 50. That includes clothing, furniture, and whatever else he considers important to call it a fulfilled life. I was inspired. And I announced, I am going to have no more than 100 items. <laughs> and 50 is a little bit much or little. So, this was going to be the thing, 100 items. The thing is, this is not new. Even as a child, I've had, I was allergic to this. I've always believed that things tie you down. I mean, I've, in South Africa, I've washed my clothing with my hand or took it to a laundrette simply because I thought, free spirit, we don't need washing machines. And the notion that things, you keep things for its sentimental value is also strange to me. I mean, a memory doesn't get trapped in a thing. Memory is a free spirit. It decides for itself whether it's going or coming, a little bit like love. So I can vouch for this because my f- memory of my family home is like this. I have nothing that reminds me of it, but yet it's, it's absolutely vivid in my mind. It was a 1930s home, I think. It had wooden floors and that's the ceilings with the patterns on it. But I grew up in the 1970s, and my mother said, This ugly floors, full floor carpets. Thank you. Green and white speckled, I think it was. And that ugly ceilings, it must be removed and replaced with asbestos. But it was a happy childhood. (laughs) 
we had a big garden. There was uh, two apricot trees and a fig tree. And the neighbors had a mulberry bush and it hang, hung over our wall. And we could eat those purple flower, uh, uh, fruit. And th- th- we could use the leaves for our silkworms. Uh, we, uh, we sat under, my, me and my sisters, we sat under those trees forever. And the green leaves form a sort of shade against that African sun. And the fruit, nothing ever tasted as well as that after that. My father was a teacher. And for some other strange reason, the school bus was sometimes parked in our yard. And my wild cousins came to visit once a month. And then we played in that bus. Hide and seek, uh, cowboys and crooks, and doctor and nurse. I loved that house. I loved the room that me and my sister shared. It had little yellow curtains. I loved the sitting room that I was not allowed in because my mother was very protective of her orange and brown furniture. And I loved this. No, that's a lie. There was a sideboard. Every person in South Africa in the 1970s had a sideboard, maybe all over the world, I'm not sure. But in the sideboard, there was these dusty little ornaments, glass and, and porcelain, but it had drawers. And those drawers were stuffed with things. And even then, I couldn't understand why people didn't just throw things away. Old electricity bills, light bulbs, a Barbie doll head, for God's sake. And my, my parents weren't hoarders. My friends had sideboards, and theirs looked the same. And also, in our family, we had a hoarder. So I knew what a hoarder was. We had an, had an aunt, my father's younger sister. Going to visit her was an ordeal for me. She had a daughter my age, and yet I hated it because she had to actually walk sideways down the corridor. There was newspapers and tires and, and, and a toolbox and, and a bicycle pump. And then you couldn't actually sit anywhere once you reached the sitting room because it was just more useless and, and, and broken stuff. The air was, was stuffy, and the, the whole feeling was gray. My aunt died some time ago, but I think of her sometimes because I later found out that she was married to a man that was either a philanderer, an alcoholic, or an abuser. And my father, I think, saw it as his job to try and get her to divorce him. But she couldn't move. She was stuck. So I don't know if her fact that she couldn't throw anything physical away was part of that or not. So, on the one hand, I have the Japanese man. On the other man, I have my aunt. And I have to move. And I have lots of things. I have a washing machine. Turns out that even free spirits needs to be practical sometimes. And I started buying things because I like them, because they are beautiful, not just practical. I've, started, I've got a beautiful pair of earrings that I bought at a second-hand shop. I have boxes full of books. I have stacks of, of um, paintings. turns out that I hate an empty wall more than a, than a drawer full of stuff. So what does it mean? It simply means now for me that actually a home depends on Not on how much you have, but how much joy it brings you. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith.
у каждого есть что рассказать.